When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Anthracite has been mined in the Castlecomer area for over three centuries. In the 17th century, the mines were granted to Christopher Wandesford, who came to Ireland with Thomas Wentworth, the Earl of Stafford, and succeeded him as Lord Lieutenant. Wandesford began to work the mines in 1640, and the family retained an interest until they were finally closed in the 1960s. In 1930, the mine owner was Captain R.H. Prior Wandesford. The parish priest of Clock, the miners' parish, was Father Kafna, and the miners' leader was a man called Nicholas Bourne. Bourne was a man of doggedness and determination, with a strong commitment to improving the lot of the miners. Sometime in the 1920s, he became a member of the Revolutionary Workers' Groups, the communist organisation in Ireland at the time, and in 1930, he was invited to Moscow to an international congress of trade unionists. The government of the time refused him a visa, but he travelled nonetheless and reached Moscow in August 1930. He returned to Ireland in November, and the decision to launch a miners' union was taken soon afterwards. The miners were dissatisfied with the existing union, the Irish Transport and General Workers. There was dissatisfaction with housing conditions, with pay and with a time check that was taken each morning before going down the pit. Through this, they stood to lose a day's pay. Then there were the accidents and the deaths, which were common in the pits in the 1930s. The new union was called the Irish Mine and Quarry Workers Union, or the Irish Mine, Quarry and Allied Workers Union. In 1931, Bourne was elected Czechway man. This was the most prestigious post in the mines, giving him a certain independence and an opportunity to organise on behalf of the new union. A story of hardship now I will tell Of the Kilkenny miner Need wits to keep him from starving above Or being buried alive Being buried alive down below Down below Ballyragget was the first meeting place And Nixie Boren was the founder A breakaway union for the miners themselves To the dread of the owners And the priests Fear of red Priest's fear of red. A very representative meeting of miners and others was held at Moonin Row, Kilkenny, on Wednesday evening last. The following was the agenda for the meeting forming and naming of a union, sale of workers' voice, formation of a party group. On the first item, a great discussion took place in which several comrades took part 
and many valuable suggestions were put forward. It was finally decided on the motion of J. Buggy that the organisation be known as the Castle Como Workers' Union. The discussion on the formation of a revolutionary workers' political group was next discussed. Comrade Boren outlined the role that this group would play and how it would act as the political guide of the union. After a long discussion, it was agreed to form a revolutionary workers' group and seven workers joined up. They came to the conclusion that the transport knew nothing about mining, you see, at that time. They knew nothing about it and that... uh, if they started a union of their own, they'd have their own leadership and somebody to go into it, you see. That was the real, really why it did start, you see. So then the horrible ups rose about it, you see. And we we sent to the delegate to the USSR. And Bourne went as a delegate to the USSR. And he became acquainted with the United Mine Workers. Union, you see, with the results that you got a lot of data from them and the way to work, the United Mine Workers of Scotland. So he met some friends about it and they gave him instructions. So he came back and put the issue towards and we supported it, you see. We supported that we'd start a union of our own and base it upon mines and quarries, you see that the mines and quarries were, or the other unions were, they had no time for them and they weren't able to explain or go into them in de- detail like the miners themselves, you see. A successful organising meeting for the union was held at Ballyragget Kilkenny on Friday night. Comrade Nicholas Boren was the principal speaker and Thomas Dowling was in the chair. Other representatives of the Castlecoma branch of the new union were John Fitzgerald, Thomas Walsh and James Byrne. Comrade Boren, in the course of his speech, said that the purpose of the meeting was to form a branch of the Irish Mines, Quarries and Allied Workers Union. This union was, he said, a militant union and was opposed to the policy of the reformists. This union had as its object a struggle against capitalism and would fight for its overthrow. It would play its part in the day-to-day battles of the workers fighting and struggling against the efforts of the bosses to impose worse conditions on the workers. What was the reason for founding this particular union? Well, we tried to... We were, a few of us were trying to get a, a union of some kind going and uh, couldn't get the men to agree upon. Some wanted the workers' union in the world and others wanted the transport union. A lot of them wanted no union at all, but... Uh, we thought that uh, there was some kind of union wanting necessary and we decided we'd start one ourselves. That was on um, the advice of uh, Nixie Bourne. And then we got us all organised and gave us a bit of encouragement to, to make a, a start to get somewhere to try and improve our conditions. Nicholas Bourne was the leader, as you say. Who were the other founder members of the union? There'd be Tom Welch, Jimmy Welch, you say another, Mikey Farrell, Eddie Carroll, John Fitzgerald, Mike Fitzgerald. There'd be two John Fitzgeralds and myself, too. And 
Tom Howlett, I think, would be another one. Tom Brennan Howlett would be his name. Uh, just can't think any more offhandedly, but there is more than that. Why was it that you went into revolutionary workers' groups at the time? Because uh, they were the only crowd that gave us any hope of, that was ready to propagate our cause and uh, do something about it for us. Tried to do something for us. They were the only crowd that ever did do anything for us up to that time. The, uh, their paper published our grievances and uh, that was a start off at least anyway and uh, got a chance of uh, criticising the conditions you were working under and all that so they were helped to us in that respect Do they also give you some advice in organising the union? Did you get some advice from Bob Stewart for instance? I can't say that uh, uh, not that I know of may have been got that I wouldn't know about because uh, next to Bourne would be able to tell you that more better than I would of course he's born next to his dead like because I would say that they had some bit of influence like uh, at the time anyway Now the Revolutionary Workers Group were a communistic group they were communists and you were a member of the Revolutionary Workers Group as indeed were many others who were in the union at the time. How did you see yourselves at the time? I saw myself as a... as a slave. And I would be prepared to do anything to change the conditions under which I was working. I didn't care who they were that had helped me at the time, but I'd be... that was my personal opinion at the time. Anyone that would be a help to us was good to me. So they were the first that really ever made an attempt... So maybe it, was all, it wasn't altogether their genuine aim maybe at the time either but I don't know that but they were a help to us at the time anyway that these uh, things were discussed then that we'd never discussed before people began to think more at least How many of the people who were in the revolutionary workers groups here in Castlecomer understood communism in your belief? Well Of the miners, I wouldn't say there was there wasn't half a dozen, well ten, not more than ten, that would have an idea of what was going on at that time. In fact, I didn't know myself what communism was at the time. Was the looked like a, we could see some little salvation in, in many ways, so far as they were prepared to do something for us. Please print our grievances. 25 delegates from Kilkenny City, Thomastown, Johnstown, Castlecomer, Clock, Kildare, Brownstown and Dunbell met in the town hall here on Sunday at a conference convened by the revolutionary workers' groups. Jim Larkin, Jr., on behalf of the executive committee of the groups, showed the connection between the day-to-day class struggle of the Irish toilers and the fight for national freedom from imperialist domination. Were you, in fact, a member of the Communist Party at the time? I I wasn't. I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't a real member at the time, but it was belonging to the revolutionary workers. You see, it was after that that it was launched as a Communist Party. But I was still in it. You know, I was still a member. 
were the people who set up the union, all members of the revolutionary workers' groups? No, no. There weren't. I don't think... I don't think there was any, 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 even born. I don't think was a member of the revolutionary workers groups, because he, he said one time to me that we were making a mistake. You see, be trying to organise a union and a political party at the one time. You see, so we had to organise the union and try and get the workers into the union. We could manage the political side of it after, you know. But then we we got a lot of publicity from the from the workers. You see, from the, the workers' fights. They published everything that we sent to them. You see. Now, what was the first time that ever there? was anything about mines or the condition of mine houses and all like that. It was the first time that there were ever any publicity given to it, you see. So Born at that time, he wrote articles for the vice and wrote different articles about the mining company and that, you see. So we sold them. We sold, used to sell the workers' vice. I remember one Sunday morning... Father Kevin was below here and uh, came to give out. And I remember that morning that he came and attacked left, right, and centre. He says they're on, they're above in the porch now. He says with a bundle of them under their arm. You see, and uh, I saw one vice that Sunday morning. He stood outside the chapel gate with them, off three attacking and all, and they only sold one. They wouldn't take him from you. <laughs> That was, you had to set up with that, you know. So uh, we continued on, sold them, and they used to, a few come back now and then and get one and read it. And then uh, any time they'd, they'd, some of them would buy it, get it for to take it on to the clergy, you see, that kind of, you know, Shawnee Inch, you know. To the editor, Kilkenny Journal, Moneen Row, Castlecomer. March the 23rd, 1931. Sir, owing to gross misrepresentation and the slanders levelled at our newly organised union, we find it necessary to point out its objects and principles. After experience of different unions, our members came to the conclusion that a union catering for the Irish mine, quarry and allied workers was long overdue. After organising and forming such a union, it is astonishing to find in the heart of the mining area that there is a man claiming to be a workers' representative who does not know the name of our new union and accepting the taunt that it was under Soviet control. I think the real trouble is because it is solely and wholly under the workers' control. We cannot understand what the object is of conflicting our union with the Irish Workers' Union, Larkin's Union, when it is neither attached nor affiliated to it or to any other body governing it. The early 1930s were the years of the Red Scare. The Commissioner of Police, General Lona Duffy, submitted a long and detailed memorandum to the government on the imminent dangers of a communist takeover. Professor Hogan wrote a book, Could Ireland Become Communist? Clonagale fought the 1932 election as the defenders of the state against the Red Pearl. In Dublin, James Connolly House was attacked and fired by angry crowds. In Leitrim, 
James Grelton, a prominent socialist, was deported to the United States. The cardinal, the bishops and the priests spoke about the dangers of communism. Father Kafner, an outstanding preacher and clergyman at the time, preached extensively on the subject. The communist leaders of the time undoubtedly looked to the mine and quarry workers as Ireland's first Red Union. The mining districts were visited by all the prominent socialist agitators of the time, Father O'Donnell, Sean Murray, Jim Larkin Jr. and the Scottish miners' leader, Bob Stewart. In 1932, a road workers' branch was formed. To some, it seemed that the Union could become a real power in the southeast. In fact, the membership had stuck hard at about 80 out of the 400 miners. Of these, not more than 15 were members of the revolutionary workers' groups. There were not more than 200 members of the groups in the country at the time. But they were very radical and revolutionary in their policies and public statements. The prior Wandersford family, understandably, were not particularly enamoured with the new union. R.C. Prior Wandersford is the son of Captain Wandersford. My father was a curious man in ways I think he's best described as a paternal autocrat. I remember a mining engineer, a consultant, an English consultant, that came and used to consult with my father and his mining uh, officials. And he said to me, you know, your father is completely out of his times. He doesn't regard this as a businessman would regard it. He regards these people as his people and that he has a responsibility towards them and therefore it is up to him to develop this industry and all the, the, the possibilities uh, round about Castle Comer. And he said, of course, the odd modern businessman wouldn't look at it like that at all. But I think he was a... He may have given the impression to people of being hard and unapproachable because he was a man that found it very hard to make contact with people but uh, that didn't mean to say that his heart wasn't there for their good, which I know it was so. Some of the miners say he was a hard master. I don't know. I, I wouldn't say he was a hard master. No, I, I wouldn't agree with I wouldn't agree with that, no. There had to be discipline in the mines, naturally. Because his uh, powers were delegated always, he would not have been allowed to, by law, you're not allowed to mine to manage a mine unless you are um, a qualified mining engineer. And of course, all the, the mines would be actually run by qualified mining engineers. Later in the afternoon, a further meeting was held at Ballyragget, but due to lack of advertising, it was not so successful. However, 13 members were enrolled and Edward O'Brien elected as provisional secretary. Was your father opposed to the trade union movement? I don't know again, but I would say from knowing him and taking into account um, his uh, attitude or attitude of people of his standing... uh, I would think he probably was opposed to 
trade unionism because, as you say, he looked at things in rather a different, oh, completely old-fashioned way now that, as I had explained to you before, he regarded these people as his people. Scattered round Ireland's only coal mine, the Park Colliery at Castlecoma, are the homes of the miners, huddles as vile and unsanitary as may be met anywhere in Europe, with windows designed to keep out the sun and stone-flagged floors eloquent of damp and colds and wet weather. At the mine, you see the capitalist crisis in concrete fashion. The coal is lying in big stacks, and no one wants it. In consequence, the colliery boss requires the miners only two days a week now, so wives and children must be maintained, and rent must be paid, out of the scandalous wage received for the two days' work, and the mockery called unemployment benefit. The rent must be paid. On the 26th of May, William Hoyne, Castlecoma, tenant of Captain Wandersford, the colliery owner, and Thomas Sixsmith, William Hoyne's sub-tenant, are to be flung out onto the roadside for non-payment of rent unless a settlement has come to during the month's stay granted by the judge. Now, the miners say in the 1930s, when they formed the Mine and Quarry Workers' Union, that conditions in the mines were very bad and wages were poor. I couldn't say myself, I couldn't give you any details on that because I myself was not in Ireland at that time. I happened to be living in Africa there. But um, I would think that the miners' wages, in comparison uh, with other wages for other means of work in the country, were not so low. I, what I do know, I've heard it said that in the old days that the Catholic priests used to hold the miners up as an example to the other members of the community as to the way they dressed on Sunday. They came always dressed in a suit and had their boots shining and this was held to be up to as be an example, I really couldn't say what the how they compared with other workers. I don't know, but I don't think they could have been so exploited and badly off, otherwise, they wouldn't have stayed in the mines. Conditions were bad in 32, nine hours a day for six pence a ton. And then get kicked out when your rent's in arrears For the owner's the giver And the owner's the taker away In the 1930s, the miners were paid six and six a tonne for coal of a certain quality and size. For the finer coal that passed through the inch and a quarter screen, they received sixpence a tonne. The drawers, the jobbers and the trammers were paid less than the colliers on a sliding scale. Wages were linked to the price of coal. If the market price of coal dropped, the wages dropped. In 1931, the price of coal fell. The miners were put on half-time. After some months, they were back on full-time, but on a reduced wage. Bourne sought a meeting with the management. A meeting took place, but ended in disagreement. There were further meetings, but no progress was made. The reduction meant sixpence a day less for colliers and a shilling a day less for the trammers. 
It was felt that this was especially unfair on the trammers, who worked hard and were not well paid at the best of times. In September 1932, a decision to strike was taken. On October 22nd, Bourne outlined working conditions in the mines in an article in the Workers' Voice. An all-out strike began in the last week of October. Paddy Farrell was a member of the Mine and Quarry Workers' Union. As far as I can remember, a, a fellow came over from Scotland, a relation, his ancestors came from Money Row area, and he, he trammed in the deer park and he discovered the conditions were terribly bad. And he he told the men that were trammed, or rather he prompted them into this saying, how do you work under those conditions? And as far as I can remember, he he set them on the road to, to revolt against the conditions they were working under. Because he explained to them that as bad as it was, he couldn't get him work where he was, but at least when he got work, the conditions weren't anything like what he was working under in the Deer, in the deer Park mine. And he was, I remember him, he was a fine, hardy man, sort of open all the sort of thing, but he he still thought that the conditions that the Castlecomber trammers were working under were the most primitive conditions you could work under in the British Isles anyway, in the mine in the British Isles. And he he set the seed for the summer strike of 1932. Mine trammers at the Park Colliery here are to take strike action next Monday, following the handing in of notice to this effect by Nicholas Boren, Secretary of the Fighting Irish Mine, Quarry and Allied Workers' Union. The trammers demand an increase of about three pence in their tonnage rates. The miners came into the square and they held a meeting and they had a banner with a mine and quarry workers' own written on it, and they were very anxious to uh, improve their conditions, if I could say, without it. The secretary of the company walked up the street, Captain Gann, which was, uh, and uh, he passed by the meeting, and nobody ever interfered with him, no one said a word. I think he was treated with respect, the very same as if it was, there was no strike, as if things were normal. Castlecomer miners must see that the news of their strike is carried into the cities and towns. They must call on the workers and working farmer committees to organise support for them in rural areas. It was in these terms the 400 striking miners stated their immediate task at a rally here today. Nicholas Boren, Secretary of the Irish Mine and Quarry Workers' Union, presided. Pether O'Donnell and Patrick Farrell attended and spoke. The miners marched in a body into the town to the music of Melodians. The Castlecomer miners are fighting in their bare feet. They are without funds, without publicity, or the means of securing it. The company says every strike in the mines has been beaten, and that this strike also will be beaten. The company believes the strike will be a hush-hush affair, and that hunger will lead the miners. Irish workers and small farmers must beat the hunger threat. Funds are urgently needed. The miners are the front trench fighters of the Irish working class. They must be supported. Contributions may be sent to Nicholas Boren, Massford, Castlecomer. The height of the lean would be about the height of the chair or the table there, you know. From 12 to 14 inches and up to 18 inches high under, see. You'd have to lie down at that, you see. And work a peak on your side. Work a peak on your side and... Uh, then when you had so much cushing under it, you'd 
come in and wedge it down with a four-pound hammer and a steel wedge, you see. So that's that was the the general run of it, you see. Then you the, the tram tram came into the rail the face, you know, and dro- drop it off, and you fill it that then fill your coal or fill your slacker or over it half for sixpence a ton. You got sixpence a ton for filling. But you picked out the the face of the pit with the. Uh, on your side, a peak, yeah, and on and your peak, side, yeah, on your working side. on your so side. You couldn't straighten yourself up in eighteen inches. You'd have to work on your side. You see, make room for yourself to work as well as you could. And then your life, do you see, depended on your skill in propping and all that. You see, we submit to your earnest consideration the condition affecting the workers in Castlecomer Colliery. For the past five weeks, four hundred men engaged in these collieries, owned and controlled by Captain R. H. Pryor Wandersford and our esteemed fellow citizens, Messrs. Jacob, of 1913 fame, have been locked out for demanding their legal and just claim. These workers comprise colliers, drawers, on-cost men and boys. The average wages for the men working about the properties is around 30 shillings per week. And although international mining law has fixed a legal limit of seven and a half hours from bank to bank, your fellow countrymen in Castlecomer have been compelled to work nine hours a shift, and in some cases longer. On Monday the strike notice was served The poor barefoot march to the melancholy strain And then followed five long desperate weeks With their belts drawn in tight But the tremors had victory at last Victory at last The glorious six-week strike of the Castle Coma miners ended on Monday when the colliery reopened The workers having won a fine victory Two-thirds of their demands have already been conceded by the management. The fight has been a triumph of militant rank-and-file leadership. It has shown that the workers can guide and win their own struggles. And it showed how the working farmers in the countryside and the industrial workers in the city, regardless of trade unions or officials, could support the fight of their class. The strike was neither remarkably glorious nor successful. A settlement was brought about to the intervention of the shopkeepers of Castle Comer, who brought pressure on the government to bring in intermediaries. Two TDs, Mr Davin and Mr Gibbons, went to Castle Comer to meet the strikers and the management. The miners were offered a halfpenny increase at 250 yards and a further halfpenny at 300 yards, with a general review of conditions. They accepted and returned to work. Flushed with this partial victory, the union leadership announced their intention to build a miners' hall. At this point, Bishop Collier, the Bishop of Ossery, thought it fit to intervene himself. He travelled to Maureen Row, the headquarters of the union. And at that time they brought the bishop out, brought the bishop out for to curb the people. And all them. my mother was alive at the time and she came out, came from Mass that Sunday morning down and 
She said the poor man, she says, had to come out here, she says, and uh, this morning in the wet and cold. And says, I told her, you had to come out in the wet and cold to go to listen to him, says, I blown off steam. Preaching po- politics, says, I when he should be preaching religion, you see. They couldn't understand the difference between religion and politics, you know. Those who are in a position to know, who have first-hand information, tell us to beware. We in Kilkenny have reason to know how true this warning is. We have the only coal mining area in the country employing hundreds of workers. Such a centre is always the hope of the communist agitator. A few weeks ago, our city and the industrial areas of the country shared in a communistic push organised practically in every country. It was on a small scale, but it was real and had the marks of the beast. We had the secret inspiration from headquarters, the paid agitator, the preaching of labour unrest, the veiled incitement to looting and rioting, we also had the irreligious part of the communist program, which denies the divinity of Christ. Communists linked up their program with national efforts, thus deceiving and imposing on the generous instincts of the young. They posed as labour leaders, as apostles of the working classes. Poisoned lies and libels were whispered into the ears of workers, especially in times of idleness. Their object was achieved when these efforts disrupted the lawful trade unions of the country and threw labour back 100 years. It was only when the lawful trade union was broken that labour could be formed in the communistic mould. They decided that they'd bring out the bishop to bring all those fellows up to the that were involved in it that they were to come up to the altar and renounce, make their baptismal vows, vows again the same as they did as so many met for them when they were baptised and uh, a lot of the people done it but I think that Nixie Bourne and uh, John Fitzgerald and Paddy Carroll and maybe another fella one or two away, I, I wouldn't know the names of John Joe or I'm not sure of that now. They walked out of the church without saying they said they wouldn't conform to that you know, they weren't renouncing religion or anything, but they wouldn't agree with that thing of uh, going up and making that uh, renouncing the devil. Renouncing again. That's it. <laughs> Why speak of communism to the faithful and devoted Catholics of this parish? Are there communists amongst you? Are there anti-God men and women in St. Candace's parish? God forbid. I believe there is not one in this parish who would not die in defense of the church. What then? I speak of communism because three Irishmen purporting to represent the workers of Ireland went to Moscow recently to rejoice with the Soviet over confiscation, slaughter and sacrilege. And 300 attended a communist meeting in Dublin to send fraternal greetings to the Soviet. Well, there was quite a crowd in the church this evening from all over the parish, young and old, and the main purpose was to 
condemn communism and the people that were promoting it and to try and uh, influence them away from their evil ways. And uh, there was Nixie Bourne was there this evening and uh, he was a leader, of course, and had been involved in controversy and used to write the, the articles for the papers and that, write to the workers' rights. And uh, he was asking what he had to say and uh, he stated that he was the avowed enemy of capitalism. He used the words he used that evening as well as I can remember. And uh, there was a bit of a excitement around the hall, a shuffling of the people in here and there. And a few people in the hall moved towards them aggressively, but they didn't raise a hand anyway. But next to you finally walked out for a short time, and about half a dozen of us walked out with them. Father Grant succeeded Father Kavanagh as parish priest of Clock. There was now a combined push on the Union from a number of sources. A party of guards and broy harriers raided Mrs Walsh's house at Monin Row at 2.30 on Sunday morning. Detective D. O'Hanrahan was in charge of the raiders. When Mrs Walsh said her sons were out at a dance and would not be back till first mass, they said, you are all communists here, and told her she was an old swindler. We have been raided by black and tans and free state forces all through, Mrs Walsh protested, and this is the worst I ever witnessed. Oh, he came down along the hall and passed all the people and lads and all who were sitting on the stick, the heavy end of the stick to the ground, you know. Came down with a, a process server's face on him and looked at me, you see. So I thought that I was going to get the stick, you see. And I said, whatever way to go, sink or swim there. If he made a blow at me, I was going to retaliate, you see. Oh, luckily he didn't. Then this woman was nearly dying, you know, when she seen him so bitter looking and all like that, you see. So he pulled away. He went back up to the door again, you see. So that was that, you see. Oh, another night I went to a, a dance in the hall again, then. Years after, you see, Father Murphy was in it at the time. He was a curate, he was running the hall, and uh, I happened to win a, a, a cake upon a, an old door ticket, you know, who won a cake. You know. uh, my number came up, you see, that. He even questioned it, you know, did I, who did I buy the ticket for, you see. So I pointed out the girl to him that I bought the ticket for. But I came to the conclusion that they were suspicious of me still, that I didn't buy the ticket, you know. So you don't get real fond of parochial people, you know, when they have this kind of thing, you see. Mind, you know, the mind is there, you see, a background of... You were this and you were that. As it has happened in every persecution from the days of the apostles down to our own day, the Catholic altar has been the first object of attack. In Russia, Mexico and Spain, churches have been destroyed or turned into workshops, cinemas or theatres to extend the kingdom of Satan. 
Hundreds of bishops and priests have been slain and thousands sent into exile. Our chalices and other sacred vessels have been melted down to supply gold to propagate the communist doctrine through the world. The agents of communism will stop at nothing. Not only will they rob Catholics of their churches, martyr their bishops and priests, desecrate their sacred vessels, but they try also to rob them of their saints. In his New Year pastoral in 1933, Bishop Collier threatened excommunication on all those associated with the Union. In Monin Row, a protest march was organised. The parishioners marched through the mining district in condemnation of the Union. The Union broke up. Bourne and the others entered into negotiations with the Irish Transport and General Walkers. Eventually, they went back into the old Union and were accepted as a separate branch. Nicholas Bourne continued as the miners' representative. He became a member of the National Executive, a position he held for many years. Bourne died in November 1971. Now I will tell of the Kilkenny miner Need wits to keep him from starving above Or being buried alive Being buried alive Down below Down below Ballyragget was the first meeting place And Nixie Boren was the founder a breakaway union for the miners themselves to the dread of the owners and the priests fear of red the priests fear of red were bad in 32 Nine hours a day for six pence a ton And then get kicked out when your rent's in arrears For the owners the giver And the owners the taker away On Monday the strike notice was served the poor barefoot march to the melancholy strain And then followed five long desperate weeks With their belts drawn in tight But the tremors had victory at last Victory at last They were strong for they stood on their own But the bishop came down and did rant and did roar And what God-fearing man can stand the wrath of his own church 
was crushed as the devil's own device. The devil's device. And that's the sad story of the Kilkenny miner, caught like a slave between hunger and shame. Needing his wits to keep him from hell above ground, or been buried alive, been buried alive.